President Trump goes full Trump, Bernie goes full Bernie, and the fresh faces go fully fresh and fully face. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All right, well, it was a busy weekend for everyone, and we are going to jump right into the weekend's news. There was plenty of it, but we begin today first by reminding you that when you send packages, there's no need for you to schlep on over to the post office. Post office is great and everything, but why would you spend time in the car and schlep your packages there and then spend more money on postage? Instead, use Stamps.com. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service direct to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It is indeed that simple. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Daily Wire is one of them. I personally use Stamps.com at my house. When it's time to send mail, I head on over to Stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and the digital scale with no long-term commitments. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. That is Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro to try it out. Stamps.com, Mike at the top of the homepage. Click on it, type in Shapiro for that four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale, no long-term commitments. Excellent service, and you get a discount when you use promo code Shapiro. So go check that out right now. All righty, so... We begin with the president of the United States over the weekend. So he spoke at CPAC over the weekend. CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference. I spoke there last year. It's a great event. I mean, it's thousands of young people who show up to hear from various members of the conservative movement and the not-so-conservative movement. It always is an interesting mix because there's every year a controversy over sort of who's the leadership of the conservative movement. Well, the last couple of years, the president has shown up, and the president is very comfortable at CPAC. What I mean by this is that the president will just freewheel. So he gave the longest speech of his presidency at CPAC. Dude went for two full hours, two hours at CPAC. And it was the full Trump. I mean, it was, the, it was every aspect of him, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hilarious. And the more you see of him, the more you realize that he just sucks the oxygen out of the room. It's going to be very difficult for any Democrat to compete just with the amount of attention that President Trump gathers around him. And my father made a point one time about Barack Obama when Obama was early on in his presidency. He said, one of the things about Obama that he's truly great at is making himself ubiquitous. He's on every TV all the time. It feels like he's become a part of our lives. Well, Trump certainly has become part of the American life. Well, does that mean that it guarantees him re-election? Of course not. Nothing guarantees you re-election. But he is so adept at garnering attention to himself that it makes it difficult to think of anyone else in the race. So maybe the idea is that you're going to vote for somebody else as the default. But let's remember, Americans tend to get pretty comfortable with whomever is in office, or at least relatively comfortable with whomever is in office. Right now, his approval ratings, about the same as they were for George W. Bush at this time before his re-election, or Bill Clinton before his re-election, or Ronald Reagan, for that matter, before his re-election. So this idea that he is wildly out of tune with prior winners is simply nonsense. In fact, the only president who had really high reelect numbers at this point was George H.W. Bush, who then went on to lose. It's important to recognize that the American people generally don't like to change horses in the middle of the street. They really don't. The last president who was a one-term, like a legit one-term president who did not win a second term specifically 
because of a third party candidate, you know, didn't didn't lose because of Ross Perot or something was Jimmy Carter before I was born. So it's been 40 years since the American people had a legit one term president like Jimmy Carter. That's a long time. The American people to, to overcome that burden, the Democrats are going to have to do better. And again, President Trump is adept at seizing the headlines because he is a barrage. I talk with friends in the news business all the time. And one of the things we are constantly noting about President Trump is that a day in Trump time is like a year in regular time. It used to be that when Barack Obama was president, a day was basically half a news cycle. Now, one hour is half a news cycle. The half-life of Trumpism is extraordinarily short. Every two hours, there's a new news cycle from the president because he's tweeting something or something is going on or the media are so rabid that they generate a controversy or people reacting to him decide to create a story. Do you remember when Brett Kavanaugh was nominated? You remember that? That was fully, that was like three and a half, four months ago. Okay, that's crazy. That's insane. You remember that Covington High School controversy? That was only about five weeks ago, six weeks ago. That's how fast time moves in the Trump administration, or rather the news cycle moves in the Trump administration. That means the Democrats are dealing with a flurry from Trump every time he is in public. Well, at this at the CPAC speech, Nick Gillespie makes this point at Reason.com. Trump demonstrated once again that he is just an overwhelming presence in American politics with some of the good and some of the bad and some of the ugly. So here is the president of the United States defending his emergency declaration. Now, it is important to note, while the emergency declaration with regard to immigration is not popular among Americans, it isn't by, by and large, he has not lost approval ratings for it. He's actually gained in the approval ratings. Here's the president talking about the emergency declaration. Last month, I declared a national emergency. And a lot of people talk about precedent, precedent, that if we do this, the Democrats will use national emergency powers for something that we don't want. They're going to do that anyway, folks. The best way to stop that is to make sure that I win the election. We're very concerned about setting precedent. I'm very concerned with having murderers and drug traffickers and drugs and drug cartels pouring into our country. That's what I'm concerned about. Now, this is a deeply unconservative argument that President Trump is making right there. This idea, well, I can violate the Constitution. I can violate the balance of powers because eventually Democrats will, too. And the best way to prevent Democrats from doing it is to make sure that Republicans keep being reelected. In other words, give the executive branch all the power. And I, Donald Trump, will ensure that that power is used how you like it. Well, that's not how constitutional government is supposed to work, which is why there's a good shot that today the Senate is going to vote down President Trump's national emergency declaration, forcing him to issue the first veto of his presidency. With that said, one of the benefits that President Trump has is that he gets to argue that Democrats are wildly out of the box, uncaring when it comes to the effects of illegal immigration, when it comes to drug smuggling and sex trafficking and crime being brought into the country via the southern border. Now, how are Democrats going to combat this? Are they really going to combat it with the checks and balances argument? Because their own crowd doesn't care about checks and balances. And Barack Obama certainly didn't care about checks and balances. And then President Trump, he always mixes the good with the bad. Then he, he says something about the emergency declaration that I think is deeply unconstitutional and wrongheaded and bad. And if Barack Obama said it, I'd be livid. And then he says, listen, I'll sign an executive order defending the First Amendment on campuses. So here's the good. i to announce that I will be very soon signing an executive order requiring colleges and universities to support free speech if they want federal research dollars. If they want our dollars and we give it to them by the billions, they've got to allow people like Hayden and many other great young people and old people 
to speak, free speech. And if they don't, it will be very costly. That'll be signed very soon. Okay, well, I'll wait to see what the exact extent of the executive order is. Obviously, you want that to remain within legal boundaries. But the basic idea, which is that college campuses should not be given federal funding if they're not going to protect the First Amendment, that obviously is true. This is the thing with Trump. One two-hour speech, one million headlines. Then the president does what the president always does. He went after the media coverage of his inauguration crowd size. He went after the Russia stuff. The president is basically a two-hour comedy routine, and I'm not sure the Democrats can keep up with this, frankly. At our big inauguration speech, you take a look at those crowds. And I watched one of the evening shows that are ridiculous, how horrible they are, how mean, how horrible. I saw pictures that there were no people. Those pictures were taken hours before. If you say something like, Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. And then that fake CNN and others say, he asked Russia to go get the emails. Horrible. These people are sick, and I'm telling you, they know the game. They know the game and they play it dirty, dirtier than anybody's ever played the game. OK, so listen, again, President Trump is going to have a lot to to run against. The fact that the media are constantly supporting his agenda by going over the rails against him. The fact that Democrats are constantly supporting his agenda by inadvertently going too far in the other direction. The fact that the Mueller investigation continues to drag on without any tangible result from it. And here's President Trump going after the Mueller investigation and then ripping on his own attorney general. And the guy is a walking comedy show. When it comes to American politics, policy, I'm sorry to say, simply does not matter very much. The question is, which person are you more comfortable with at this point? I'm not sure that people haven't grown comfortable to Trump, seriously. Because at the beginning, it was like, oh my God, what is this? Right? At the beginning, it's like, oh God, he's like, he's like your drunk uncle at the party. He's knocking over the barbecue and now the house is on fire. And what the hell is going on? But now it's like, okay, well, the house is on fire and we put it out and he's still kind of stumbling around and drinking, but all right, everything's okay. And the barbecue's kind of tasty. Guess we can live with that. Here's the president going after the Mueller investigation and his own attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Everything with President Trump becomes old news. Sooner or later, everything is baked into the cake. I know the cake is very large at this point. There's a lot of stuff in there. I know there's rat bones and there's old shoes and stuff, but it's all baked in. We, are, we all know what's in the cake. And when it comes to American politics, sometimes the devil you know is worse than the devil is better than the devil that you don't, which we'll see in just a second. But anyway, here's President Trump suggesting that people are trying to tear him down with BS, which to a certain extent is, act, is certainly true. We had the greatest election in all fairness, I used to hear Andrew Jackson. This was now greater than the election of Andrew Jackson. People say that. No, people say it. I'm not saying it. Right? This was the equivalent or greater. Now we have people that lost. And unfortunately, you put the wrong people in a couple of positions. And they leave people for a long time that shouldn't be there. And all of a sudden, they're trying to take you out with bullshit. Okay. Do Democrats have a response to this? I mean, seriously, they can try to school-marm President Trump, and Hillary Clinton tried that in 2016. And school-marming him didn't work. You know why? Because people are tired of it. They're just tired of the school-marming. You think Kamala Harris school-marming President Trump is really going to do anything? Joe Biden school-marming President Trump is going to do anything? Really? Like, the American people, they know. they like, all right, it's all there. We get it. In a second, I'm going to get to a little bit more of President Trump at CPAC, and then we'll get to 
why the Democrats' best shot there, they could very well blow it. We can get to that in just a second. First, let's talk about hiring. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy. You only have to go to one place to get it done. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one. They spotlight the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. There's no reason for you to be posting your job on one million separate job boards and then waiting for the resumes to come in without any sort of filter. ZipRecruiter makes sure that you spot all of the best applicants they're so effective, again, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get that quality candidate through the site in just the first day. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire to try ZipRecruiter for free. Okay, so President Trump, again, the fact is that people have gotten used to President Trump. And normally, normally, I think that President Trump would be unpalatable to the American people. This comedy routine would get old quickly because while it is true that the American people have gotten used to this, it is also true that if the Democrats were sane in any way, if they weren't crazy bat bleep loonies, if they didn't if they didn't push so far to the left that Bernie Sanders were now a mainstream presidential candidate, they would have a much better shot in this election. I'm not talking about school murmuring. I'm just talking about a return to normalcy. Somebody standing there going, listen, I know you think this is fun. I know this is all fun and games, but like, come on, guys, come on. But they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Even though President Trump provides pathways to vulnerability for them. I mean, the fact is he just does. For example, President Trump last week, I ripped on him for this. The president said that Otto Warmbier, the American citizen who was murdered by the North Korean regime, he said that Otto Warmbier had, that he took Kim Jong-un, the evil dictator at his word, that he didn't know about Otto Warmbier. And then Trump went on at CPAC and he said, listen, the reason that I said all that, I'm in a horrible position. How can a president say this publicly? Like, how is this okay? We got our great people back. We got our great, great people and that includes our beautiful, beautiful Otto. Otto Warmbier, whose parents I've gotten to know, who's incredible. And I'm in such a horrible position because in one way, I have to negotiate. In the other way, I love Mr. and Mrs. Warmbier, and I love Otto. And it's a very, very delicate balance. He was a special young man, and to see what happened was so bad. Okay, it's not actually a delicate balance. You do not have to praise the dictator of an evil country or the, an evil government, the dictator of an evil government, to be more precise. The country is an evil. The people, are, I'm sure, are great. But the government is terrible and evil. The fact is that he praised Kim Jong-un. He did not have to do that. It was so bad that even John Bolton had to come out and condemn President Trump's view. He said, listen, that's Trump's view. That's not my view. This is the secretary. This is the, the national security advisor, John Bolton. The president made it very clear he considers what happened to Otto Warmbier uh, an act of brutality that's completely unacceptable to the American side. I've heard him uh, before uh, the summit itself, before the press conference, uh, talk about how deeply he cared about Otto Warmbier and his family. Uh, the fact is, the best thing North Korea could do right now would be to give us a full accounting of what happened. Uh, and who was responsible for it. Do you take Kim Jong-un at his word? The president takes him at his word. No, I know he does, but what about you? My opinion doesn't matter. 
Uh, my opinion is that I'm the national, national security advisor of the president. Right. Your not, opinion matters quite a bit. I am not the national security decision maker. That's his view. Okay, well, again, this is bad stuff. Now, here's the point. That is bad stuff. But Democrats are not positioned to take advantage because the 2020 Democrats are so unbelievably radical, so unbelievably radical that Bernie Sanders may not be radical enough for them. So Bernie Sanders is trying to reintroduce himself to the Democratic Party right now. And yeah, that means that we have to play the Bernie Sanders music, of course, because, I mean, come on. So Bernie Sanders gave a big speech over the weekend. And that speech was supposed to reintroduce him to the Democratic public. Right? He's speaking in Brooklyn, New York. And the idea here was going to be that he is going to reintroduce himself as the new face of the Democratic Party, make himself more personal to the Democratic Party. The problem is that Bernie Sanders is a kook. He has always been a kook. And now Bernie Sanders is trying to play up his Jewish background in order to claim that he has some sort of intersectional appeal. Number one, that ain't going to play with the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party does not care about Jewish intersectionality. They do not care about the experience of Jews. They do not care about anti-Semitism within their own party, as we'll get to in just a second. Second of all, Bernie Sanders does not have a credible leg to stand on when he talks about his Jewish background. The guy is radically anti-religious. He's radically anti-Israel. He has no relationship with Judaism. He is an atheist socialist. Like the fact that he is ethnically Jewish makes, cuts no ice with me. I don't care about ethnic Judaism. I care about actual practicing Judaism. I care about religious Judaism. I care about Jewish principles. Bernie Sanders is in line with virtually none of them. And yet, when he tries to reintroduce himself to the Democratic Party, that's what he has to rely on because his socialism isn't enough these days. So he drags out Sean King. Sean King, you'll recall, is the, he's a columnist for the New York Daily News. He's a race baiter par excellence. There have been accusations that he is not actually black. His birth certificate lists his birth father as a white guy. He says that his mom had an affair and he's actually black. Not of high relevance, but he is now a spokesperson for the Bernie Sanders campaign, basically. And he gets up there in the middle of a Democratic Party meltdown over anti-Semitism and says, you know, Bernie Sanders grew up in the family of, a, of, of Holocaust, where everyone's extended family was killed in the Holocaust. Yeah, welcome to being a Jew. Okay, pretty much everybody's extended family was killed in the Holocaust. Half of world Jewry was exterminated during the Holocaust. Doesn't give you a case for being president. Bernie Sanders was born right here in Brooklyn the same year the Holocaust began. The next year when Bernie was just a baby boy, his uncles Jacob and Abraham, his aunt Shana, her son Leopold, were all killed in the Holocaust in Poland. And to come of age in that time, in that space, it gave Bernie a deep sense of right and wrong. Okay, so let, let me get this straight. Because he was born the same year that the Holocaust began, he has a deep sense of right and wrong. This is their case. This is going to be the case that Bernie Sanders, a full on socialist who rooted for the USSR and Cuba and was rooting for Venezuela. That guy is he got a deep sense of right and wrong because he had extended relatives who were killed in the Holocaust, just like every other Jew on planet Earth of Ashkenazi descent. Seriously. And then Bernie tried to double down on this. He says, you know, I know where I came from. He said he tries to describe his his childhood and make himself a man of the people, even though he's been living off the public dole for legitimately decades at this point. I am not going to tell you that I grew up in a home of desperate poverty. That would not be true. But what I will tell you is that coming from a lower middle class family, I will never forget about how money or really lack of money was always a point of stress in our family. My experience as a child living in a family that struggled economically, powerfully influenced my life and my values. 
I know where I came from. Okay, where you came from is the greatest country in the history of the world where a useless old man like you can run for president on the basis of accomplishing nothing over the course of your life and then you can rip on it. Is that really going to counter President Trump? Is that a counter to President Trump? When President Trump stands up there at CPAC and he says, socialism is not our future. And then Bernie Sanders says, I grew up lower middle income in the United States and this is supposed to be a story of victimhood. You're standing on a presidential stage, never having legitimately earned a dollar or created a job. And we're supposed to hear from you that you're the guy who should run everything. Like that's the guy who they're going to juxtapose. And let's not forget, I mean, Bernie Sanders is a front runner right now. He is. His support is significantly more durable than Joe Biden's. The best day Joe Biden's going to have of this campaign is the first day. Unless Barack Obama endorses him, the best day Joe Biden has in this campaign is the day he announces. From there, it is all downhill. Bernie Sanders has the most durable base of anyone in the Democratic Party, and he is an octogenarian socialist with a boring background. So boring that he has to actually go back to extended relatives killed in the Holocaust and growing up lower middle income in Brooklyn, just like half of Jews in America. Like, really? And then he says that his, his program is going to be guaranteeing health care as a right. He says at this rally, he's going to guarantee health care as a right. But then he lets the, the ball, he, he sort of lets the, the cat out of the bag, as we'll see what he means by that in an interview that happened last night. So here he is at the rally talking about health care as a right. Today we launch our fight for a political revolution. And we say to the private health insurance companies, whether you like it or not, the United States is going to join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right. Yeah, except then he explained exactly what he means by that. He said, oh, yeah, what I mean by that is the complete elimination of private health care insurance. Whoops. Your question in terms of health care, we're already paying for it. We're paying twice as much as the Canadians. So what the criticism of Bernie Sanders is, he's going to raise your taxes. Well, I may. That's right. But you know what I'm doing? I'm doing away with all of your private health insurance premiums. All right. I don't know how you guys work or where you get your health care from. Mm-hmm. Somebody is paying for it. Somebody's paying Blue Cross or United Health. All right. That's gone. You're paying it for yourself, yeah. You're paying it for yourself. How much mm-hmm. you paying? If you're an average family of four in this country, you're paying $28,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And that cost is going to go up. So we can't afford the present system. That's so we're going to get rid of 177 million, million health care plans in the United States because Bernie Sanders says so. And his case is that he had extended relatives who died in the Holocaust and grew up lower middle income in Brooklyn before sponging off the taxpayer for decades at a time. Yeah, President Trump might be OK. He might be OK. We'll explain why he might be even more OK, because Bernie Sanders isn't even radical enough for the Democratic base. This is the problem. Bernie Sanders may be the best they have to capture the Democratic mind at this point, but he is not the Democratic base. I'll explain in just a second. First, let's talk about Congress. In a second, we're going to talk about the fresh faces in Congress and why these folks cannot be trusted with power. But here's the problem. As power accretes to the federal government, whether we're talking about the legislature or the executive branch, as we talk about the perversion of the constitutional structure of checks and balances, regardless of who is in office, we're going to need to shore up the Constitution that has been undermined. Over the last century, the rise of administrative government has radically restructured how American government has worked and was supposed to work. It was never supposed to be this way. We weren't supposed to have armies of regulators trying to take control of every aspect of your life. We weren't supposed to have a legislature that was constantly accreting power to itself and a Supreme Court that was constantly saying that was totally fine. This is why I'm a big believer in calling a convention of states where we the people can propose amendments, amendments that could force term limits on Congress, for example, or make them balance the budget. We'd consider all of these amendments. 
And I know people are worried about a runaway convention. Here's the thing. A vast majority of states, like 38 states, still have to actually go with whatever amendment is proposed. So it's not like somebody's going to make an amendment to abolish private profit in the United States, and that's going to go fine. That's just not how this thing works. Calling a convention of states may be the only way to get the job done. There are already 3.8 million people with us on this more every day. Join me and my friend Mark Meckler. Go to conventionofstates.com slash Ben. Go sign the petition today. That is conventionofstates.com slash Ben. And getting familiar with the Constitution and then seeing what we can do to restrike the original bargain would be a worthwhile thing. Conventionofstates.com slash Ben to join us. Go check it out right now. Okay, so as I say, Bernie Sanders is extraordinarily radical, and he's not even radical enough for the Democratic base. This is why, unfortunately, I feel like constitutional concerns have gone by the wayside. And we let off with President Trump talking about his emergency declaration. And he says, listen, you know, I know that I may be violating the Constitution here, but if you're worried that I'm setting a precedent, well, Democrats are going to do it anyway, because they have no limits. When you look at the Democratic Party, it's hard not to feel the same sort of Flight 93 urgency that was expressed by Michael Anton in this famous piece for the Claremont Review of Books back in 2016. He suggested basically the country is going to crash anyway. You got to vote for Trump because you got to try to storm the cockpit. The metaphor didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. But if you look at the Democratic Party right now, it does feel like this is a party that is determined to drive America into the ground, that this is a party that does not care about constitutional limits or even, frankly, the limits of decency. Bernie Sanders is not intersectional enough for them. He's too socialist and not intersectional enough. So, for example, CNN's Bakari Sellers, he came out on CNN last night. He said, listen, I know Bernie marched with Martin Luther King, right? This is one of the good part of Bernie's records. But he says that's not enough. Bernie isn't intersectional enough. He was criticized uh, last time for not connecting effectively uh, with the African-American community. Uh, is this part of what he needs to do to get the nomination? I know you're not necessarily rooting yeah, for I mean, him I, to get the nomination. I think, but... I think that Bernie Sanders has a long way to go, and I, I, f there's a certain part of me that believes that ship has already sailed. I mean, it's not the fact that Bernie Sanders marched with Dr. King in the 60s. I think that was one of the first things that he said. The question was, where have you been and what have you done <laughs> since then? What, where, has been, where has your activism been since the 60s? Okay, well, here's the problem for this. Bakari Sellers does speak the language of the base, meaning he is talking to the Democratic base, but the Democratic base is not the entire voting population of the United States, nor is it even the voting population of the Democratic Party. There's a poll out of South Carolina today. Here's what it shows. It shows that Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are the only two candidates to reach double digits in the Democratic primary. Biden has 37% of the vote right now in South Carolina, followed by Bernie with 21% of the vote. Kamala Harris comes in third with 9% of the vote. Cory Booker has 6%. Beta O'Rourke, Elizabeth Warren, both receive five. Elizabeth Warren is toast. She is done. She is not a competitor in this race. Kamala Harris, though, is charting really low among black voters. And that's what's so fascinating about this. Among African-American Democratic primary voters, Biden has 43% of the vote. Sanders has 15% of the vote. Harris is at nine. So for all the talk about how intersectionality is going to rule the future, the reality is it's a minority, even in the Democratic Party, probably, but it is a minority that is now running the party. The folks who care so much about race and sex and the intersection thereof, those people run the heart of the Democratic Party, but the Democratic Party is not relegated to just those people. On the issue of reparations for African-Americans, 31% of respondents among Democrats agree with the policy, 46% disagree. That issue is not helping Kamala Harris with South Carolina Democratic primary voters, according to the poll. 79% of them support reparations, but they are breaking for Joe Biden nearly four to one. By the way, President Trump has a positive approval rating of 50% in the state. So in any case, 
this is sort of the point. As the Democratic Party moves ever further to the left, President Trump's chances get even better. As I've said for a long time, if President Trump can just let the Democrats go crazy and continue to go crazy and not go crazy himself, he may be in good shape. And good, good news for him, the Democrats appear to be going fully crazy. They're now eating their own. So Ilhan Omar continues to be a fresh face of the Democratic Party, incredibly fresh as well as face. I mean, on the cover of Rolling Stone with Nancy Pelosi, who also is a fresh face, meaning that she's had a chemical peel in the last 30 days. In any case, Ilhan Omar will not stop with the anti-Semitism. I mean, legitimately will not stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Turn down for what? I mean, she, it, it, it's, it's incredible. She has made three openly anti-Semitic public statements in the last month and a half and has apologized twice, not for this latest one. And she's being celebrated by the Democratic Party, so fearful of ticking off their intersectional base. How do you think this is going to play with the broader American public? I don't think it's going to play all that well. So over the weekend, Ilhan Omar, so Nita Lowy tweeted out this. Nita Lowy is a Democratic congressperson from New York. And here is sort of what happened. First, a couple of things. Ilhan Omar last week suggested once again that Jews were Jews in America and American Israel supporters were demonstrating dual loyalty, loyalty to Israel as well as loyalty to America. And that if the two came into conflict, it was really going to be loyalty to Israel that won out. Okay, then in West Virginia, some idiots at the West Virginia GOP wanting Ilhan Omar to hold their beer, apparently, they tweeted out or, or they put up a poster that had a picture of 9-11 and it said, never forget, you said. And then underneath, it was a picture of Ilhan Omar saying you forgot, as though Ilhan Omar is somehow a member of Al-Qaeda. Okay, Ilhan Omar is, a, is, is terrible in a lot of ways. She is not a member of Al-Qaeda. That's absurd. It's absurd. And indeed, it is, quote unquote, Islamophobic. It's Islamophobic in the sense that not every Muslim is a, sense, is a member of Al-Qaeda. Now, that doesn't mean that Ilhan Omar is any great shakes. She's not. She's joked about Al-Qaeda before. She has is, she is essentially expressed sympathy for other terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. But is she responsible for 9 Of course she is not. But when she is called on her own, but, but the amount of inside the Democratic Party, it turned into, well, you know, let's this, anti, this Islamophobia by Ilhan Omar, against Ilhan Omar is truly terrible. But we're just going to ignore the whole anti-Semitic thing. We're going to ignore the fact that she's an anti-Semite. I'll explain in just a second. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. There's nobody on the planet like you. So why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep built a quiz. It takes two minutes to complete. They use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. Whether you are a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or firm bed with Helix, there's no more guessing and no more confusion. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, Helix can even split that mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Right now, Helix is offering up to 125 bucks off all mattress orders. Get up to 125 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben for up to $125 off your mattress order. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. My wife and I have a Helix Sleep mattress. It is indeed indubitably comfortable. It is great. My wife and I took that two-minute sleep quiz. The mattress came in the mail. We just unwrapped it, inflated right in front of us. We popped it on the bed. It was good to go. We've been on it ever since. It is fantastic. Go check them out right now at helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use the slash Ben for up to 125 bucks off your mattress order. Go check that out right now. Okay, we're going to get to the continued radicalism inside the Democratic Party, plus AOC running into a trap of her own making. We'll get to that in a second. But first, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to Daily Wire. When you do, you get the rest of the show live. You get two additional hours of me every day, every afternoon. We're here, suffering through the afternoon commute with you. And you can be part of it. 
All you have to do is go and subscribe at dailywire.com for $9.99 a month or $99 a year. In which case, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels, the leftist tiers, hot or cold tumbler. Go check that out right now. It is indeed fantastic. Also, when you subscribe, you get all sorts of other goodies. You can be part of our mailbag. I answer questions sometimes during the show, during the, during the radio breaks. You can go check that out. Also, our Sunday specials become Saturday specials. So, for example, we had on Dan Crenshaw, Dan, the representative from Texas. His Sunday special, you could get it on Saturday and hear the extra question. So all sorts of good stuff happening over at dailywire.com. This is why you should go and subscribe and become part of the team, help support the show. It really is helpful to us. Also, check us out at YouTube or iTunes. Listen, leave a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So as I say, the Democratic Party is moving so far to the left, at least the leadership is, or the perception that the intersectional base is the coalition that is going to win the future. That perception is so strong that it is leading them directly over a cliff like lemmings. So as I, as I mentioned, Ilhan Omar, who's gotten all sorts of attention because she's a Muslim congressperson from Minnesota, who also happens to be a blatant anti-Semite. Again, she has said anti-Semitic things repeatedly. She's not the only one. Rashida Tlaib from, from Michigan has done the same thing. Well, last week, she said in a public statement, I mean, in front of a major crowd at a bookstore in Washington, D.C., she went out there and she suggested that American Jews have dual loyalty to Israel. Nita Lowy, who is an American Jew and a Democrat, tweeted this out. She said, gross Islamophobic stereotypes like those about Ilhan Omar recently featured on posters in West Virginia are offensive and have no place in political discourse. Anti-Semitic tropes that accuse Jews of dual loyalty are equally painful and must also be roundly condemned. Lawmakers must be able to debate without prejudice or bigotry. I am saddened that Representative Omar continues to mischaracterize support for Israel. I urge her to retract this statement and engage in further dialogue with the Jewish community on why these comments are so hurtful. And this has been the typical tactic from folks on the left. Really, the typical tactic is we are so sad that she would do this. It's so sad. And you get the same thing from Debbie Wasserman Schultz, another Jewish congressperson, this one from Florida. She says, sadly, misunderstandings over anti-Semitic hurtful comments continue as does hateful Islamophobic rhetoric. Dialogue leads to understanding. Ilhan Omar, repeated misunderstandings would seem to require dialogue to avoid repetitive harm. Communication is the key to understanding. I hope you will agree and will engage so tensions do not worsen. Again, it's the entire Democratic Party tutting Ilhan Omar's anti-Semitism. She is not hiding the ball, guys. She's saying it straight out over and over and over again. And all of you folks in the Democratic Party in leadership positions are sitting there going, well, I guess she just doesn't understand. She just must not understand what she's doing. This is soft bigotry of low expectations crap. She's an intelligent woman. She's a sitting Congress member. The idea that Ilhan Omar doesn't know what she's saying is absurd. She knows precisely what she's saying because she keeps saying it over and over. And then she doesn't apologize for it. She apologizes that you felt bad because of what she said. So she responds to Nita Lowy, a Democratic Congresswoman inside her own party. And she says, our democracy is built on debate, Congresswoman. I should not be expected to have allegiance or pledge to support to a foreign country in order to serve my country in Congress or serve on committee. The people of the fifth elected me to serve their interest. I am sure we agree on that. And that is legitimately her suggesting that everyone who supports Israel has allegiance or pledges support to Israel. No one is expecting her to pledge her allegiance to Israel. No one is expecting her to even support Israel. There are plenty of Democrats who do not. Bernie Sanders is one of them. But the people who come out in the Democratic Party and suggest that everyone who supports Israel has allegiance to Israel, that is an absurd, absurd anti-Semitic contention. She engages in it like every five minutes. And the entire Democratic Party infrastructure just tut-tuts it. They just go, oh, well, you know, who cares? Now, what's hilarious about this is AOC, as ever, Leroy Jenkinsing every issue. So 
Everybody in the Democratic Party is like, oh, I guess she just misunderstood. It's a misunderstanding, guys. I mean, come on. You can't expect Ilhan Omar to, you know, know things. So AOC then tweets out and tacitly admits that, that Ilhan Omar engages in anti-Semitism. She says, I'm pretty heartbroken. There isn't more denunciation of this outward and blatant expression of bigotry and Islamophobia by a state party. First of all, I have not seen a major Republican who has not condemned that West Virginia poster. It's a poster. She's a sitting congresswoman, Ilhan Omar. The amount of outrage should not be, should not be equal. In any case, AOC then continues, very fresh, very face. In my opinion, those who stood up against anti-Semitism a few weeks ago should also be calling out the Islamophobia here too. Isn't she tacitly admitting that Ilhan Omar engaged in anti-Semitism? And yet she continues to support every aspect of Ilhan Omar. Everything about Ilhan Omar is worthy of her support. And then people wonder why so many people are polarized and voting for President Trump and thinking about voting for President Trump. You want to make the choice binary. Democrats are making it real easy to make the choice binary. Here's what President Trump wants out of this election. He wants the same thing that he got in the last election. He wants people to look at the Democrats and say, I cannot pull the lever ever for those people. At least I'm used to President Trump at this point. I'll pull the lever for him. At least he isn't engaging in outright anti-Semitic defense at this point. Democrats are. At least he is not pushing and stumping for this, the destruction of all private health care insurance. At least he's not advocating for open socialism and the destruction of cars and planes. At least he's not doing those things. Democrats are making it real easy for President Trump. They really are. And it's amazing to watch them do it, seriously. I mean, again, the fact that Bernie Sanders is considered a mainstream presidential candidate is more of a joke than Donald Trump winning in 2016. It is, from any objective point of view. The worst you can say about Donald Trump is that he's an ignoramus who doesn't understand politics very well and doesn't have deeply rooted principles. At least he's not, at least he understands enough to know socialism is bad. At least he understands enough to know that nationalization of massive industries and destruction of 177 million healthcare plans would be a bad idea. At least he knows that. My goodness. It, it, it really is astonishing. Okay, so meanwhile, AOC has gotten herself in hot water. How's she gotten herself in hot water? Well, according to the New York Post, Apparently, AOC is another one of these do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do leftists when it comes to environmentalism. As a freshman representative, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez wants to save the planet with her Green New Deal, but she keeps tripping over her own giant carbon footprint. We're like, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change, the progressive darling said in January, speaking of herself and her fellow millennials. And like, this is the war. This is our World War II. Last week, she ratcheted up the rhetoric. She said, it is basically a scientific consensus that the lives of our children are going to be very difficult due to climate change. And she asked whether it was still okay to have children because again, she is not a smart human. And then the New York Post said, the guiding principle of her eco-vision is to bring about a full transition off fossil fuels and zero greenhouse gases within 10 years. To achieve this, the, GN, the Green New Deal fact sheet says, the nation, this is the fact sheet she put out, the frequently asked questions, the nation must totally overhaul transportation by expanding, by massively expanding electric vehicle manufacturing, building charging stations everywhere, building out high-speed rail, creating affordable public transit available to all with the goal to replace every combustion engine vehicle. But the woman who boasts of a razor-sharp BS detector seems to have trouble sniffing out her own. Since declaring her candidacy in May 2017, Ocasio-Cortez's campaign heavily relied on those combustion engine cars, even though a subway station was just 138 feet from her Elmhurst campaign office. She listed 1,049 transactions for Uber, Lyft, Juno, and other car services federal filings show. By the way, she also blamed those car services for bankrupting taxi drivers. The campaign had 505 Uber expenses alone. In all, Ocasio-Cortez spent $30,000 on those emissions-spewing vehicles, along with car and van rentals, even though her Queens headquarters was a one-minute walk to the 7 train. 
The campaign shelled out only about 8,000 bucks on 52 MetroCard transactions. Everyone, top to bottom, used MetroCards, Ocasio-Cortez's spokesperson, Corbin Trent, told The Post. By comparison, her fellow freshman, Max Rose, listed only 329 transactions for car services, totaling $6,000. In a district with limited transit options and a $17 Verrazano Bridge toll, Rose spent only $732 more than AOC on gas and tolls, an indicator of personal car usage. So she's been very friendly to embrace airplanes and cars as well. Get to more of that in just a second. So it turns out, according to the New York Post, that AOC's campaign embraced the friendly skies, logging 66 airline transactions costing $25,000 during campaign season. The Democratic firebrand or her staff took Amtrak far less only 18 times, despite high-speed rail being the cornerstone of her Save the World strategy. So this, this long piece talks about her travel habits, and she's very, very upset about this. So she tweets back, I also fly and use AC. Living in the world as it is isn't an argument against working towards a better future. The Green New Deal is about putting a lot of people to work in developing new technologies, building new infrastructure, and getting us to 100% renewable energy. Well, also, your frequently asked questions specifically talk about getting rid of internal combustion engines and getting rid of airplanes. I mean, I mentioned this when she cut her video last week of her chopping up sweet potatoes while she talked about how the world was a terrible place in her climate-controlled apartment in the heart of the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C. She's a very difficult life here in the first world. Now, she's, she's claiming, well, I'm not a hypocrite. You know, everybody has to use this stuff. It's not hypocrisy if everybody is using this stuff. That is not enough for the former head of Greenpeace, the co-founder of Greenpeace. He slammed her. He has a PhD in ecology. His name is Patrick Moore. He said uh, he, he fired back the world as it is has the option of taking the subway rather than taxi, the option of Amtrak rather than plane, the option of opening windows rather than AC. You're just a garden variety hypocrite like the others. And you have zero expertise at any of the things you pretend to know. He's blasted her before. He called her after she suggested that that she was the boss. He said, pompous little twit. You don't have a plan to grow food for 8 billion people without fossil fuels or get the food into the cities. Horses, if fossil fuels were banned, every tree in the world would be cut down for fuel for cooking and heating. You would bring about mass death. <laughs> it's that founder of Greenpeace owning AOC with facts and logic. That is not stopping members of the media from coming forth to defend her and the rest of the fresh faces. Elizabeth Brunick who's the socialist columnist over at the Washington Post. I mean, she legitimately defends socialism. She defended Ilhan Omar's anti-Semitism this week. She said it's not actual anti-Semitism to accuse people of dual loyalty. But then she wrote a full piece in the Washington Post in which she suggests that AOC is not, in fact, a hypocrite. We should ignore people who call socialists hypocrites. Now, here's the truth. Socialism always ends with a two-track process. There are the people who run the government, who live lives of extraordinary wealth and privilege, it was always good to be a member of the government in the USSR. Way better than being a member of the proletariat. In Venezuela, if you are a member of the Chavez family or the Maduro family, great place to be. If you're anyone else, you're eating dogs. Socialism tends to end up with a two-track program. But Elizabeth Bruding says we should ignore the fact that AOC is willing to take care of all these advantages because, you know, she's fighting to change the world. This is always the way that folks tend to get off the hook. You know, it, it's, it's fascinating. When you think of government as God, and when you think that you are God because you are a member of government, the rules don't apply to you. You're like God. You exist outside space and time, and the rules can simply be changed at whim. When you're not a member of government, then personal responsibility falls on you to do the things that you're talking about. So when I talk about building the social fabric and giving charity, I need to actually work on building the social fabric and giving charity. I can't just say, listen, I'm fighting for those things, but I don't actually have to do those things. The, 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 I generally am not a fan of the hypocrisy claim 
The hypocrisy claim is very often used to tear down the standard itself. So what I mean is you'll see somebody who says adultery is bad and then they go and they commit adultery and people say, well, that person's a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is not failing to live up to your own standards. Hypocrisy is saying that the standard should not apply to me. It should apply to everyone else. Well, that's what AOC is doing. She's saying that I'm living in the world as it is. Right. So are the rest of us, AOC. So are the rest of us. And yet you're calling on all of us to radically change how we live our lives. And you're not going to worry about it. You're not doing it. Right. That's hypocrisy. Suggesting there's one set of rules for you and one set of rules for the commoners. That is hypocrisy. Failing to live up to your own expectations is not. So if AOC had said, listen, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I don't always live up to the standard, but that's something we can all work on. That would be a good defense. Not I live in the world. So do all of us. We're all living here together. But Elizabeth Brudig says we should just ignore all of this. She says shortly after AOC won a, a congressional primary, pictures of her childhood home began appearing on social media. The grainy image of the small blue cottage was evidently swiped from Google Street View and uploaded to Twitter by conservative television host John Cardillo. The tidy little home Cardillo tweeted was in fact the Yorktown Heights very nice area home of AOC, a far cry from the Bronx hood upbringing she's selling. Cardillo was wrong. Ocasio was born in the Bronx, though her family moved to Yorktown Heights years later in an effort to place her in better public schools. Well, then he wasn't wrong. That's where she lived growing up. And my wife was born in Haifa. She didn't live in Haifa her entire upbringing. Like, that's silly. And then AOC says, as more left flank challengers face off with center left incumbents and more democratic socialists begin looking toward public office, beware. You will all be called champagne socialists or yacht communists, the ritzier and more radical counterparts of limousine liberals. It doesn't matter how comparatively humble your background is or how relatively modest your means in the context of the political class at large. It'll always be news if Bernie Sanders wears a $700 coat or buys a house by a lake because his political position on inequality is so obviously moral that the only way to impeach it is to make him seem dishonest about it. No, it is not obviously moral. It is obviously immoral, which is why he doesn't live up to his own morality. His own standard is bullcrap. Everybody knows it's bullcrap. He knows it's bullcrap. That's why we point out that he lives on a house by the lake. Not to say that owning a house by a lake is inherently bad, but to say that there's nothing wrong with owning a house by the lake. And this moron is out there suggesting that there's something inherently immoral about owning a house by the lake at the same time he owns one. That's the point. But Burdick says the same goes and will continue to go for every other candidate who attempts to advance material equality. This stance is hard to supply a persuasive democratic alternative to, so critics instead claim that its standard bearers don't really mean it. No, we claim that the standard itself is nonsense and no one lives up to it specifically because it's nonsense. That's the point. AOC lives in the world as it is. She expects everyone else not to live in the world as it is. It is not just that she has called for change and innovation and technology. We're all doing that right now. Everyone, right, left, and center. The difference is that she says that it is immoral for there to be billionaires. She says that it is immoral to live certain lifestyles. So does Sanders. You can't live those lifestyles and then at the same time claim it is immoral to live those lifestyles in the now. That is called a double standard. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like. There is a a movie out on Amazon now uh, called Beautiful Boy. It's based on a memoir uh, from a New Yorker writer whose son became addicted to crystal meth. The movie is, what's good about the movie is that it's really well acted. That's, that's the part of the movie that's really great. I won't say that it's deeply emotionally affecting, but it is really well acted. Timothy Chalamet is a terrific actor. He plays the, the meth-addicted son. And you do learn a fair bit about meth addiction, how virulent it is, how terrible it is. Here is a little bit of the preview. So how you doing? I'm doing great, you know, just, um, um, just doing what needs to be done. What does that mean? I'm sorry, Dad. Um, Why don't we just have lunch and talk? 
We can do that, right? Mm. Please. You think that you have this under control. I understand why I do things. It doesn't make me any different. You're just embarrassed because I was like, you know, I was like this amazing thing, like your special creation or something, and you don't like who I am now. Yeah, who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad, here, this is who I am. This is not you. This is not you, Nick. What are you doing, huh? You always gotta be controlling everything all the time. Let me, let me book your room no, at a hotel for no, a couple of nights. Dad. I don't want it to go like this. My son has so the, the, the movie is, is quite good. One of the things that it does show you, and it is, it is true, is that Timothy Chalamet's performance, so much of it is that when you're dealing with, with folks who are addicted or who have a, a mental problem, so, many, so much of it is an attempt to turn the, the question back on you. You see in that specific scene, it's a very good scene. One of the things that you see in that scene uh, is, is Timothy Chalamet's character trying to blame the dad for his own problems. And this is, if you want to be successful in life, honestly, if you want to be, and I, forget about addiction for a second, you want to be successful in life generally, the most important thing is to take personal responsibility for your actions. If you actually want to be successful in life, blaming your parents, blaming your upbringing, blaming your environment, none of that avails because reality is still reality and good decision making is going to be rewarded in a far more coherent way than bad decision making. Trying to blame the world, trying to blame other people doesn't avail you one bit. And I understand that our modern American politics is based on the blame game. It's based on this idea that every problem you experience in your life is due to some unseen, impersonal forces that are out there. Again, there are some people who are legitimately victimized by individual people. But if we actually want a country of success, we need a country of successful people. Being a successful person means taking responsibility for your own actions. And that's true. That's as true for people who are not addicts as it is true for people who happen to be addicts. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. So I'm old enough to remember when it was considered very, very bad not to respect the results of an election. Hillary Clinton has been doing that ever since she lost. I was told that if Donald Trump lost in 2016, he was not going to respect the results of the election. I'm being told by people like Michael Cohen that if President Trump doesn't win in 2020, there will be a civil war because Trump will refuse to leave office. Hillary Clinton is still doing this shtick. She's still doing this shtick, but she's doing it about Stacey Abrams. So Stacey Abrams lost her gubernatorial race in Georgia. She lost it fair and square. She did not lose and she lost by something like 50,000 votes. That's not stopping Hillary Clinton from going down to Selma and suggesting that Stacey Abrams really did win. And also Hillary got back into her Southern accent. It's always fun to watch Hillary's modulating accents. She's like the, the extraordinarily crappy Daniel Day-Lewis of political accents. We're looking toward a new presidential election, thank goodness. <laughs> but it's not gonna make a difference if we don't bring the lawsuits and win them, right? If we don't register everybody the way Stacey Abrams has been doing since 2014, I mean, just think about it. Between 2012, the prior presidential election, where we still had the Voting Rights Act, and 2016, when my name was on the ballot, there were fewer voters registered in Georgia than there had been those prior four years. Okay, she just, she, she's a delight. I mean, I do love her dropping the Southern accent. By the way, it got even stronger. I mean, here, here's a clip of her talking again in Selma. I mean, she really is dropping those Gs. She's just leaving those Gs out there on the street for anyone to trip over. It's really unsafe. Reverend Strong, you have been a wonderful host. Thank you so much. It is a great honor to be back among you, especially at this moment that is fraught with peril for our country. And Reverend Green, when those bones get up, 
And when that spirit is breathed into them and they start climbing out of that valley, the first place they go is to register to vote. Okay, man, she and Kirsten Gillibrand cut from the exact same cloth. I'd like to see an acting off between Kirsten Gillibrand and Hillary Clinton. Is it, I, I sometimes wonder if, if Hillary Clinton and Kirsten Gillibrand are actually the same person just separated by 20 years. I don't know at this point. Okay, in any case, we'll be back here for two hours later today. So make sure you subscribe and then you can stop by for the updates and all sorts of fun. You can check in with us during the breaks and I'll answer your questions. Should be a blast. So go check us out over at dailywire.com or we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. You know, Donald Trump sounded crazy during his speech at CPAC over the weekend, but actually what he said was kind of sane, whereas Bernie Sanders sounds sane, but not so much. I'm Andrew Clavin. That's on The Andrew Clavin Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.